0: Quick question for you. Are you a federal access member yet? If you're a government contractor, you need a federal access account. You can get started today with a free membership. Just visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers. Free members get access to about 20 documents and templates, as well as our video training playbooks. More importantly, this gets you in the RSM federal ecosystem and makes you part of our community. So go grab your free account today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. Now let's hop into this episode.
1: Welcome to Game
0: Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now, your hosts, Josh and Mike. My name is Michael Lejeune, and I will be your host today on Game Changers, and I want to get right into the show by welcoming our guest, Frank Varga. Frank is a director of Air Force programs over at Apogee Engineering. Frank, please take a minute to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do over there at Apogee.
1: Thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, I am the director for Air Force programs for Apogee. We are a defense services company to the DOD, uh, largely in the Air Force, uh, Navy, and Army, and we also do civil agency support we provide professional services to the government. Uh, we don't actually build anything. Uh, most of what we provide is engineers, uh, logisticians, and managers for government programs.
0: Yeah, and that's awesome. You know, I, I love what you guys are doing, and I, I love that we're talking today to, uh, we're going to call it a small business, right? You know, because anything under, you know, multi business billions of dollars people people call small business these days you know when I was when I was growing up you know a small business was a hundred thousand dollars a year that was a small business and now you know based on your NAICS code it's could be six million could be 30 million could be 50 million just depends on what it is I love talking to smaller companies like this and giving insight into the government contracting space, and so it, this this podcast, although we're recording it in 2016, it's for 2017. If you're new to the podcast, we're gonna we're gonna be having a lot more like this, where we're talking to defense contractors just like Frank, where we're actually kind of getting more of a case study here of, of kind of what they've done in the space, uh, what's working, what's not, some of the keys to success for them, as well as you know if they could go back in time and, and make some changes. So I think it's gonna be really valuable for a lot of folks to to kind of hear what you guys have to say. So so with that, how long have you been in the government contracting space?
1: Uh, so I've been with uh, government contracting for about 14 years, coming up on 15 years. I spent uh, the better half, or the, I should say the better half, spent one half of that with Booz Allen Hamilton, working on the large business side. It was the first job I had out of the military. And then approximately seven and a half years ago, I called up the COO for Apogee. Uh, we'd worked in the past. He had started this uh, little business called Apogee. And so I called him up to potentially just start a new job. He offered me a, dir- or basically to become the regional director for Apogee Engineering out of Wright-Patterson. And uh, for the last seven years, I've been doing that. Uh, we were, I was employee number 13. So we we're very much in our infancy at that point in 2009. And uh, now we're up to about 100, 140, uh, 100, 140 staff.
0: Wow, that that's awesome. you know there's there's so many companies that rarely make it past employee number you know one or two. and to hear you know you came in at employee thirteen, which is kind of not kind of it's very risky coming in at employee thirteen when you've been at Booz Allen, right? You know, you you had uh you know a major company there, a lot of safety, a lot of security to come into a company like this, and now you guys are you know well over hundred employees, um you know so that's really awesome. That's a success story in itself that a lot of companies want to hear about. You know, how did you guys do that? But today I, I want to really focus on just some of the bigger wins you guys have had and some of the keys to those success. You know, you mentioned something interesting there, and I, I actually you know we met back in Colorado Springs, we were neighbors. I think you were in the Air Force at the time, um you know, and you you success. We transitioned from Air Force into government contracting how important was your military experience and your big company experience how important was that in transitioning to a small business like this?
1: I think it had the most influence you know possible for myself you know coming from the military side, I mean that's why I became a defense contractor it's a logical transition stepping out of the Air Force at seven years and then moving into the defense space. Uh, very easy transition to contract. Now, moving into the small business arena, you know, my my partners for Apogee, I can also say they were also Booz Allen. So we're all alumni to a uh, big business. You know, I give a ton of credit to, to experiencing uh, what we did at, at Booz Allen. The partners were in Colorado Springs. I was in DC, but to be able to experience the machine and see how the machine works when you have what is unlimited resources is pretty uh, and a pretty amazing thing, but it allows you to understand uh what what goes on with defense contracts, how to go how to go about doing business, how to win business, how to bid business, and how to execute. So uh it's been a benefit to both myself and the partners of Apogee to uh, send that.
0: Yeah, well that, and that's interesting that you mentioned some of the partners were there too. I mean do you think that your company would have the success it has today without that experience?
1: You know that that's hard to say. I, I would tell you I think we got we got moving down the track a little faster. Obviously, because we knew uh, what needed to be done uh, and how to execute, so we didn't have uh, a lot of the missteps. But I will tell you this: one of the biggest realizations that we, that both the partners had in the first seven years of the business, they went from zero to thirteen. So the first two, between the three partners, they had what would be called a three-quarter full-time equivalent. So um, they had just enough money to, to kind of keep the lights on. Uh, between the three of them for the first two years. So they went through a lot of growing pains as a small business just because you don't have a name. And so that is probably one of the toughest things and toughest challenges to start uh, on the small business track, when I joined at 13, we still weren't, we still didn't have everything down in terms of what we were doing. You know, how to market, who to market, who to call, who, to, you know, what kind of what kind of things do we go after? What is our business, about, right? Because it's very easy to start to see opportunities, and next thing you know, you're chasing everything on five, on on ten different paths. So I think it did give us some some benefit. To see how the machine works, but uh, as with any small business, whether you've been in the game or not, you're going to go through a lot of growing pains because nobody knows who you are and you really have no credibility. Right, um, You have no name recognition. And, and I think that was probably the biggest realization for both them and myself. Right.
0: No, I I think that's great advice and wisdom there. You know, especially I I love what you said about getting able to see the big machine running with virtually unlimited resources, because it really is like that in a big machine like Booz Allen, where, you know, you you literally you create a budget and someone, you know, higher up you know it comes down from the heavens and it's approved and now you have this money to go do something where in you know a small business you know you know how much money's in the bank and you can't go get more than that approved right like it stops there you know you, we don't we have so much credit we have so much cash and that's that is our budget you know and, and we want to stay within that so it, it's interesting to to hear that and and how beneficial that was for you guys to see it because i i think that is and i, I i'm not going to put words in your mouth uh, on this but i think if i could go back in time in my business i would have spent more time in bigger companies because i actually you know although when i came out i was working and i think it was when i when i met you i was working for um I don't know if we were GTE or General Dynamics by then, we were bought and sold two or three times when I first got out of the military. We were GTE, then General Dynamics, then a really tiny company of about 50 uh, bought my division. If I had to go back, I'd do more time in the bigger space because I actually did engineering in the big company, but I didn't do sales and business development in the big companies. I did that in a small company. And so we didn't we didn't really get to see it. And so I think there's a lot of value missed there for people who just say, well, I got out of the military, I'm going to come in and I'm just going to you know start this. Up and rock and roll. I, there's a lot, like you said, the growing pains are are very very difficult, especially when you are on limited funds and that sort of thing. So, so why don't you tell us a little bit about you know what were some of the major wins? You know, because to go from you know two three partners to thirteen to explode over a hundred, um, you guys have had to have seen some major wins that have helped catapult you into those those phases. Tell us about those a little bit.
1: The, the first thing I would say, the best lessons that we've had uh, have not been a win it's been the losses within the first year of joining apogee i was providing technical services you know with a small portion of bd that's kind of how you stay alive you you do the contract billable that pays the bills and then you do bd uh, business development on the side so within the first 18 months of me joining apogee we lost our major contract Uh, it was a competitive lpta and price game and and somebody came and underbid the incumbents which we were and so but that put us in a mode of that kind of shifted the entire company, both partners and some of our senior leadership that were on contract to kind of shift into, uh, okay, let's find a job. Let's make sure we can, you can execute tomorrow. So for me, it's the losses that uh, give me the most benefit because it's a lot of reflection. It's a lot of lessons learned. What, what, what did we do wrong? Uh, were we not priced right? Were we not staffed right? Do we not have the technical capability? Um, those are the, the, the ones that yes. I remember the most. Some of the anchor wins have been through um, we were lucky enough with our CEO to be accepted into the SBA 8A program. And so one of my first contract, my first contract at Apogee, approximately 24 months after we joined uh, or after I joined, was an 8A direct award. And so we were able to use that program to establish a footprint at Wright-Patterson, which is Air Force, which is uh, within the Air Force Lifecycle Management Center, um, which kind of set us up and it was really kind of, okay, now how do we use this ADA program? So that was one of our first wins. Uh, competitively, I would say another big win for us as a space-based company was the GPS Operations Center, where we uh, it was a competitive award. It was past performance-based. So it was tough. We were going up, uh, going up against an entrenched incumbent, uh, but we were able to put together the staffing plan, put together the resources and price uh, to win that. And it really kind of Shifted the landscape for how we were in Colorado Springs in the Air Force space market, because now we were a big player with GPS. And then lastly, a few years back, probably about five years, we approached the Air Force Academy to do some of their services. And uh, through uh, what was an 8A direct award then turned into competitive, uh, we've been the anchor for uh, the U.S. Air Force Academy also. So those were probably the what I would call some of the three biggest wins that, you know, that I, I remember the most. Um, where we use the 8A program to our advantage and we're able to use, use that to, to win work.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's really important. And I think the, a lot of people hear about 8A and start to pursue it and think, this is going to be the key to my success is having this. And I, and I think it's 50-50. Some are super disappointed because they don't use it properly. Since you guys, I mean, it's the first one you listed. And since you guys used it properly to do that, um, what about the 8A program made it work for you?
1: We graduated uh, this December from the 8A program. It's a nine-year program, so we've had that have that status for nine years. Now we've officially graduated. We've grown up. It's time to be a big boy and move on. But the, you know, the things I would uh, you know advise folks who look towards set asides, um, the 8A program, whether it be 8A or small or uh, service-disabled a veteran-owned or woman owned or uh, economic disadvantage set aside. anytime you look at those set asides, look about you know what are you going to use them for, and and how long are you going to use them. And also, when are you going to get them? You know, um, it's easy uh, for the 8A program within two years of your business to get accepted into the program and, and really not know what it is. And a lot, I think a lot of companies look towards the 8A program as like it's going to be uh, a blank check and they're just going to get all this money dumped into them. And it just doesn't happen that way. You know, I would tell you from Apogee's perspective, I think we got our 8A just a little, a little sooner than we, we should have by a couple years. Um, We had this and and it sat dormant for a couple years just because we really didn't know how, we didn't really know what it was. The, the floodgates didn't open up in terms of contracts or money. Um, you still have to get out there and, and apply it. And nobody is just going to give away money just because you're a set aside. And it doesn't matter which one you are. They will, um, try to meet, the government will try to meet goals. They will try to set a, set aside some certain dollar amount, but that dollar amount is, is, um, everybody's going after that. And that includes large business. Large business want a piece of that money just as much as the, the one who actually has it set aside. So you can't rely on on your set asides. Use them for what you want. And for us, we used 8A to get our foot in the door. You know, at Wright-Patterson, our first contract on the 8A program was an ISR and soft directorate. We were doing UAV work. Obviously, in 2010, uh, that was a very big growth area for the, for the DOD, was unmanned systems we still had to provide a service offering. The money just didn't show up at our doorstep. We had to basically take, I took three contracts that were all large business. They were, you know, paying an exorbitant amount of money to, to pay these three businesses for what was essentially for people across three different businesses. And what I did was I consolidated it, but it took establishing a network, establishing relationships with folks, going to meet customers multiple times to show that cost savings. And really in 2010 in the DOD space, um, is when the pendulum started to swing, and really the spigot was shutting off. The the money um, was not there. Everybody was looking for cost savings, and so it was just a, the right opportunity to walk in the door and say, "Hey, I can save you X by consolidating these contracts," and that was our first uh, avenue. But it wasn't. Nobody sent us the blank check. I never, I never got one of those. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. You know, and and I think. You you hit it right on the head there. You know, a lot of people believe whether it's 8A, whether it's my service disabled veteran own, what, what woman, whatever it is, people believe that, Hey, this certification is going to be a blank check and people are going to do business with me because you know what? The government's got goals and the government follows their rules. I'm like, You have not been in the government very long, have you? (laughs) You know, like it just doesn't work that way. I'm like, in, I always encourage people, you know, when you're looking to do business with folks, you know, call and ask and look at their goaling reports and different things. Find out, are they hitting their numbers? Because just because somebody is hitting the numbers doesn't mean you're going to get the money. If they're not hitting the numbers, it doesn't mean you're going to get the money. It may mean they don't care. You know, they're just going to take the, what are you going to do to them, right? You're not going to fire a government employee. So, It's one of those things where you really have to take it with a grain of salt when you look at a lot of that stuff. And like you said, I mean, it takes years to get in there and win some of these things. But, you know, some of these statuses can get your foot in the door where it may not in some other places. So so I, I like hearing that from somebody other than us who's always pounding that of don't rely on your status. You know, that that's not going to do it. it I I, th- I found it interesting, though, that you also said, you know, you you got it a little too early because you didn't know what it was. I, I think that's what a lot of people are as well. They think, hey, the blank check is coming. They get the blank check as in, you know, I'm now 8 a and it sits dormant for two years because they don't know what to do with it. So I, I I think that's very common for people, and it's good to hear that you guys figured out what to do with it, and then were able to successfully graduate as well. So that that that's all really good. You've kind of hinted on on my next question here, but. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this out to you in case there's some other things. You've hinted at what some of the keys to success were there with even, you know, leveraging the 8A program and getting there and, you know, getting your, your first contract. I mean, what else would you say has been a key to your success over the last several, several years?
1: You know, not just, you know, isolated to the Air Force Division where I am, but for our company, I think one of our benefits was uh, – not to get back into 8A too much, but having an exit strategy and also diversifying how we go after business. You know, 8A provided us the opportunity to get our foot in the door. It provided us to execute, get past performance, get those exceptional, um, exceptionally rated uh, CPARs that, that are critical to past performance. But we never sunk all of our eggs into one basket. And so we looked at the 8A program as just one mechanism for, for growth. We also looked towards partnerships, and joint ventures and, and mentor protégé relationships also, um, basically, using every possible tool to increase our business, not only within the DoD, but also you know to branch out beyond the Air Force. We started as an Air Force company, but then we we purposefully sought after Navy work and Army work and some of the Fed Civ agencies. You know, we took our Air Force Academy um, work and used that as past performance to um, now run the West Point Academy, which is on the Army side, and then. We took uh, some software development on the Air Force, and we pushed that into USGS and, and, and did, did some stuff on the Fed Civit, Fed Civ side. So one of our biggest tenets has been diversifying yourself uh, outside of, of your single customer. It was been very easy for us to stay an Air Force customer. Uh, of course, we would have been drawn into all the ebbs and flows that go with the Air Force customer right at that time. So um, I think diversifying ourselves... Diversifying how we go after business, so not just the 8A program. We went after competitive work where it was small business set aside. We we purposefully look for those things. I don't if it's 8A, I don't want to look at it. If it's small business set aside, let's go after that. We set up some joint ventures to go after some IDIQs uh, for some of the co-coms and those types of things. And then we've also even used what's called the mentor protege relationships uh, with large businesses because there's a benefit to them too. So looking at all the mechanisms you know and not putting all your eggs in one basket from a customer base perspective or even how how you go after business
0: yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of people hear that. And you know, it, it's interesting when I when I read, you know, you kind of gave me a bio before the show here. And when I read through that, I look at, you know, just success after success after success with different programs. And, you know, I, I tour around the country and, and speak at a lot of these major conferences. And when I'm there, I usually hear one of those things worked for people. And with you guys, I'm, I'm hearing like they all worked. And and, and I'm, I'm going to step back for a moment and kind of say this about the, you know, your company, your company has a successful feel to it. You know, when I when I talk to you guys and, and hear about what you're what you're doing, it's like you look at the mentor protege and say, I know there's challenges with it, but we're going to have success with this. You know, I know there's challenges with joint ventures, but we're going to have success with it. I know there's uh, challenges with 8A, but we're going to have success. It seems like as part of your company's DNA, there's a success mindset. And and I know we're not necessarily talking about that, but I, I'm i hearing that from you and from what I've seen, because I've been following you on LinkedIn for a long time and what your company does. And I see this success mindset where you guys go into it feeling like you're going to succeed. And I think a lot of small businesses go into it and, and hope but don't know that it's going to succeed. They like cross their fingers and, you know, like, you know, say a little prayer, whatever. And, and I think that's a big difference. It's a subtle, but very big difference. The, the other thing that I'm hearing from you as you are purposefully doing things, and, and I don't want to get into your specific plan, but it, it sounds like you guys had a specific plan for growth, and and I don't know if part of that comes with the mindset of being former Booz Allen and, and being a big boy in the market, or if that's just your owners. But I mean, did did your owners come in and say we want to be a a big company? We don't just want a lifestyle business that takes care of you know us and you know half a dozen employees. We want to we want to employ hundreds of employees. I mean, it, it seems like that's somewhere in the plan.
1: Believe it or not, um, it's not. I'll tell you. I'll tell you right now. You know, our COO, who I've known for years, even when he was at Bruce Allen before he started, before him and Wes started Apogee, you know, the company was, was going to be 20 to 25 folks of, of, of people we wanted to work with, and and, uh, and that was it. We were happy with it. But what happens is um, you go through the phases of growth, and you get employees who want the same thing you want, right? And they have the same attitude and the same. Same entrepreneurial thing. And next thing you know, you have an employee base that says, I love it here, right? And then I want to do that and I want to grow that. And so um, even some of our employees that that work for me have have come up and said, hey, I've got a little bit of history over in this area. And I noticed we don't do that. Do you think I could spend some time on that? And, of course, my immediate answer is that, yes, how can can I help? And so a lot of our growth has um, some of it you step into. You know, we we won a contract for the Department of Transportation. That if I was looking on the probability of winning that when we won it, uh, I'd have put it, I'd have pegged it at, at five to ten percent. But our business, our, our business development director um, really liked it. He thought we had the past performance to win. And that operations center led to the GPS operations center, which led to joint operations center. And next thing you know, we're doing operations. And this comes from a company that was founded on satellite communications engineering, and all we were going to do was be systems. Uh, And test engineers, but we found, you know, we found something else. And then you hire staff in, and staff want to do, they want to grow. And so you set up programs, and we set up some things internally that, you know, enabled folks to reach the potential they wanted to, which means it wasn't just about working on contract. It was about setting up your career. You want to do this. You want to be beyond just working on the base or delivering a service to um, some kind of military customer. You want to grow here. And so how can we how can we set that up? And and to be honest, a lot of our employees have a lot of ideas and uh, we try to enable those. We try to nurture those. um, We try to throttle back the ones that are just a little bit too aggressive. But um, yeah, I think we've enabled a lot of our staff to help grow our company in areas that they want to grow. And that's really kind of what has taken us from uh, where we were at, at 13, 14 employees, which was just a bunch of SATCOM engineers, to um, supporting federal civil agents, supporting multiple DOD customers, and doing things that, personally on my resume, I don't know how to do. I don't know how to do software, but I have soft- we have a software team. Nice. Um, so it's uh, it's been a lot of enabling folks that want to grow uh, and want to do things for themselves.
0: Yeah, it, I mean, it it sounds like again another one of those those keys to success there is just having a really strong culture and and really caring about your employees. You know, there, there's a lot of companies that talk about, hey, we want to care about our employees and we want to nurture them and want to do things and they struggle with like growth and things like that. And I think it, it really comes through that you're, you know, walking the talk when you actually start growing you know if you wanted to be in the 2025 range and then you start growing and you know you wake up and you're 100, 100 plus whatever Um, it, it's because you're doing the right things on a cultural level where you know you are nurturing the employees and following through on things and and, and you know another success point there that, that you point out is just capitalizing on your wins uh, I think that's a big thing hey we won this there's more opportunity in this area uh, we've got the manpower the know-how the whatever let's go get some more and oh by the way it's going to make our employees happier that they're here give them more you know, ownership of their position. And now they're never going to want to leave. It is unheard of in this day and age for somebody to be at a company for 12 years. You know, that's just unheard of, you know, with with you being there as long as you have. And uh, regardless of whether you're an owner or an employee, you know, it just it just doesn't happen. And so to hear those kind of things says to me, the the company has really got a strong culture uh, and they're really cultivating their people. So I think that that sounds really great uh, to hear that we've talked about some successes here uh, I, I, I don't want to get off here without hitting on two more uh, questions that I have the, the first one is you know what it, what have been some of the hurdles you know it's a, there's a, there's a lot of success we've talked what are some of the hurdles that you guys have and, and how'd you get over them
1: A lot of things that we have gone through um, that have been the struggles have been infrastructure right and so as a company, it's, it's easy when you're, you're writing the proposals yourself, you're writing the pricing yourself. Um, but when you start to really start to grow and when people start picking up the phone, it's, 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 you know, there, is, there is something to the snowball effect uh, when you start to win a few things and people start to take notice and then next thing you know, the phone starts ringing and everybody wants you to do something, whether that be, hey, join my team here or hey, prime this opportunity for me here. And you're like, well, I don't, I don't do that. But you know, infrastructure is a big thing and kind of planning for the future. I've met a lot of businesses and dealt with a lot of other smalls that are even just slightly bigger than us that don't have the infrastructure. They don't have a recruiting machine. They don't have human resources. They don't have you know they don't have those things locked up. Um, they don't have a pricing uh, option. They don't have you know program managers just to execute your contracts. It's not easy to to set that infrastructure up before you actually win the work um, because it takes a lot of investment into the company. And I, I can say that our partners and myself have really kind of enabled this company to succeed by planning for the future, right? Looking six months down the road uh, on your growth cycle and saying, do I need this? Right. Uh, And, and when your employees and folks that are bidding things, and even some of your operations managers are sitting there going, man, we need a recruiter. We need somebody dedicated to just find good quality folks because spending, you know, a couple hours in the evening after the kids go to bed, trying to find staff is not really going to get you there. And so um, it's taken a lot of investment for us. A lot of infrastructure hits where it was tough to just win work to just try to build that. Um, some of the other, you know, you know, some of the contract losses that, were, that are really tough for us uh, and really kind of hit is, you know, the pricing game. So in the Air Force and, and in DOD, you know, the last few years uh, with sequestration and those types of things, pricing has been king. And um, you can really kind of destroy your culture if you race to the bottom. And so we've had to take some losses and know that man we really wanted to win that but we got beat by 22 percent right because somebody came in and just bought the contract they had the price um but they have high turnover right they have a big you know you hear about the contract and how it's executing after the fact and there's a rotation of staff because they can't maintain salaries they can't maintain benefits people aren't getting paid on payroll though you know those were those are hurdles to us because man did we really want to win that we really wanted to win that contract but we really can't destroy the culture of our company because we'll just become a staffing agency at that point. Yeah. We won't have good quality engineers. We won't good have good thought and, and good you know, good uh, ideas for the company. So those types of things are, are hurdles for us is knowing knowing you're going into this and you could lose, right? And and if you lose, you know, accepting the fact um, that you lost and it was it's okay. Because um, you don't want to, you don't want to change yourself. You don't want to shift uh, and race to the bottom. So that's yeah. been a big. Ch-
0: yeah, no, I I love hearing that. You don't want to race to the bottom because that's exactly what you will do. And like you said, it it'd destroy the culture uh, when when you wind up in a situation like that. So I, I love hearing uh, those comments there. So so final question for you: If you could go back in time and give yourself some advice, obviously you know now you you're you're very seasoned and know a lot more about this. What are the one or two pieces of advice you would go back in time and tell yourself? Uh, you know, especially for our listeners that are, are just starting or struggling in their government contract contracting business?
1: The advice I'd give myself is you, you don't know everything and you're not that good. And, uh, <laughs> I, love, I love, that because, <laughs> way to encourage him. Yeah. You know, no, it's, it really is a little bit of self-reflection and yeah. understanding what, you know, it, it's very easy. You win one contract and next thing you know, man, you're on top of the world right? and, and there's nobody else who can beat you. Just remember, there's always somebody out there who can do the job that you're doing. So, you know, presenting yourself, you know, as you walk in, I can remember some early meetings when I walked in. I said, man, I'm Apogee Engineering and here's what I do and you need me. But in reality, um, there's a hundred other people behind you who can do that same thing. You know, you have to find a way to differentiate yourself, whether that's through culture, whether that's through, you know, technical understanding. I mean, everything I think I've learned over the years is that as you go after bids and you go after different work, you're going to have to rely on staff. You're going to have to rely on technical expertise. And it's just not, it's not, it is not an easy thing to do. Um, It is not an easy thing just to put some, put some ink onto paper and and send send it in. Next thing you know, you're going to win. You need to uh, understand, you need to investigate. You have to start early, right? When you're going after an opportunity, you should be 18 months out, you know, looking for something. Um, looking at contracts that are currently in execution that you know somebody's already executing and still has 18, 24 months left, but still going, I want to do that work. That's the type of work that, you know, that's the software type of work that I want to do. That's the engineering work I want to do. Um, and planning for that next competition and starting those starting those events early, starting to do your data gathering, starting to do marketing calls, talking to customers, influencing customers, and giving your pitch, um, not just to customers, but to other companies. You know, a second second word of advice would be the network, right? And picking up the phone and talking to people and meeting people over and over and over and over again so that when they have a need, they pick up the phone and call you. And they say, you know what? I talked to that guy, Frank, like 10 times. He keeps telling me he has this engineering cadre of awesome folks and I have a problem to solve. And and at some point that person in their role as a as CEO or a director, they're going to have a point where they've reached where they can't they can't do it anymore on their own, and so they're going to have to pick up the phone and call somebody. And I think you want them to call call you. And so uh, I think that's been a lot of our success. You know, I would tell you I can say definitively. You know, we have just as many prime contracts as we do subcontracts. We have 10 active prime contracts right now. We have 11 active subcontracts just because of establishing relationships with with different companies. You can't do it on your own. Um, you have to be knowledgeable about what you're talking about. Uh, and you've got to invest the time ahead of competition if you're going to if you're gonna actually win.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a really important point. You made a bunch of important points there. One of them that I'll come back to for a second here is I, I think it's a pride thing for a lot of companies that, I, yeah, I want to start off as a subcontractor, but I really want to be a prime and then I'm never going to deal with the sub business again. And, you know, myself and my partner have been in the defense space for uh, he's a little bit older than me. So combined you know, 25, 30 years between the two of us. And we just got invited literally yesterday to be a sub on a contract and so we're having the kickoff meeting tomorrow and it's one of those things like we just hey it's a great opportunity for the company so we're going to go after it and uh you just got to be able to put that pride aside and say what's best for the company what makes sense where can you go get the money i think that's a big deal but you know i want to go back to for a minute here and i I know i said that was my last question but i want to go back to a minute here and um and ask you about this one thing i wholeheartedly agree with going in real early. And, you know, you pointed to 18 months out on some different opportunities. How do you manage the mental game for that? Because I I think for a lot of folks, when they see that there's a contract out there that's not going to be expiring for 18 months, they think, well, okay, well, I will look back in on this in a year uh, when it's six months out. And I'll start then because 18 months is a really long time for somebody. I'm just I'm just wondering if any hints, tips, whatever on how to manage the mental game, because, again, it's such a long time for some people that it can really be defeating to think about. We're working on this for 18 months just to get a shot in 18 months when it may take another six to 12 months to actually win the contract. We just don't know. So I'm just wondering if you have some mental tips for, for our listeners on that.
1: Well, pipeline management is a is a big deal and, and for let me, you know, just clarify. I won't say that we're great or that I'm great at that eighteen month pipeline, or that everything we've won has been in that eighteen month pipeline. Um, there has been the flyers that have popped over and, and we've won we've gone after. I'm just saying if you're going to establish something and what I would advise myself would be to start a little earlier. And that eighteen month, you know, and some of this is not you know, some of it's tracking your pipeline. What are you gonna bring in? You know, what's coming up for recompete of your own? What's coming up with its like, you know, similar services? Um, go for the things that you know first before you go for the flyers uh, or at least plan for the flyers. Having it set up and and addressing it on a routine basis, I think, is, is key. And having checks and balances, even just within the companies, the partners will challenge me. I'll challenge the partners uh, on what we're going after and why and when and, and how much time and effort are we going to spend on that. And, you know, it could be as simple as, staying in touch with the with the contracting shop, right? And understanding where this thing is gonna go before it's been updated on FedBizOps or before it's been updated on Gov. Um, and kind of just you know staying in touch with the customers, understanding where they're going. Some of it I think is also the, the your teaming and, and starting to talk to other people um, because you might have something that you wanna go after, but nine times out of 10, you can't do that alone, um, especially for some of the bigger efforts. You're gonna have to have teammates to cover some of those requirements and start making those, you know, most of these, most of the government, at least on the DOD space, a lot of these requirements don't change year over year. You know, new weapon systems come aboard, but the services are very much the same. And so finding out what's the good company that does Costing, right? And, and okay, who, who's going to be my coster, my cost team, um, for this, for this next effort? And you're not going to establish a TA at that point. You're just going to start having discussions so that when it does come around and, and you get the, you're able to get something from contracting that says, hey, this is, this is going to come out or it's going to come out small business set aside, right? We're switching from F and O full and open to small business set aside. And that's key, right? Now you know that, uh, somebody is going to have to, you know, switch from the prime position. So you, you start to target some of those things.
0: You know, if you take the advice that Frank gave you here about, you know, really tracking your pipeline and pipeline management, you know, you, you start to see where if, if I have zero opportunities closing in the next 18 months, but I put 20 in there, as that 18-month window starts to creep down now everything starts to become active and as long as you keep filling the pipeline you really have the first 18 months where there's there's the gap if you will that you got to get over and then you start to have active opportunities every single month including like you said you know the ones that just pop up But it it really does boil down to really good pipeline management. And I I think for a lot of people, they just say, well, it's 18 months out. I'm not, I'm just going to drop that and move on to other things. Because if if I can't find something that pops up, I'm not going to survive. And so I I think that's a a big thing. Then they get two years, three years in the business and wish, hey, if I'd have gone back and managed that, watched that opportunity, we'd have bid on it, maybe won it. So, you know, starting early is... To me, it's such key. I also love what you said earlier about differentiating yourself. I think that's a, a, you know, that's a drum we pound all the time. So really great stuff here today. I really appreciate it. I know we went a little longer, but I thought it was all really good stuff for our listeners. So just thank you so much for coming on today and being a guest. And I'd love to have you back on and maybe talk more specific about your industry at some point. No problem. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And I also want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on this episode. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for government contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. You can also learn more about each of our guests by visiting the official Game Changers website at RSMFederal.com forward slash Game Changers, where we'll have links to their websites, social media and contact information. And last but not least, please visit our sponsor for today, the uh, Federal Access Program at RSMFederal.com forward slash F-A for more information on how you can win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.